Well, good morning, church. Good morning. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all are excited this morning. Uh, my name is Dustin. I get the privilege of being the pastor. And so uh, we love our Bibles around here. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up and start making your way to the back quarter of it. We're in Acts chapter 22. Um, if you've been following along with us the last year, you know that we're in Acts. But uh, I'm getting excited. Um, I didn't think I'd say this, but I'm a little bit ready to uh, move on. Not that Acts isn't important and these words aren't as inspired as the rest of it, but um, I'm, uh, we're getting towards the end. So we'll be in Acts chapter 22. Um, as you're flipping there, I was going to say I hope that uh, you guys enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. Anybody? Yeah? Enjoyed your extra hour? I see. Maybe that's why y'all gave me a good morning. Uh, y'all are excited to uh, be here. The problem I've noticed last few years is kids don't know that you would get an extra hour of sleep. So I didn't get an extra hour, but if you don't have kids, then I hope you enjoyed it, right? Um, I do like the deer hunt, though, so it did give me an extra hour of deer hunting because it set the time back, and I'm just kidding. That, deer don't know the time either, okay? Uh, uh, they, they have no idea. They're working off daylight. So, y'all good this morning? Yeah? Awesome. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 22, and so let me catch you up to where we are, and then we'll get going um, before we jump in. Uh, as Jamie mentioned, Heart and Souls at three. So if you haven't come through that, uh, we'd love for you to do that. And if you're in college, if it's your second week here, whatever the scenario, if you want more information about our church or whatever, uh, that Heart and Soul kind of acts as the next step. If you want to know more, uh, get more involved, etc. Um, if you haven't done it, we think it will be a good next step for you. It's my favorite thing we do as a church, so I'm a little biased, but uh, I love it. So that'll be at three o'clock. It's three Sundays in a row. And then on the fourth meeting is just a celebration we have with all the uh, leadership in the church. So if you don't know about it, ask somebody that's been. Um, most people that go through it enjoy it. So Sound good? Y'all good? Yeah? yeah? Awesome. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 22. It's going to be a good day. Nice and cold and going to be warm later, hitting the pretty days of winter. So here we go. Um, I said Acts 22, but actually you'll have to flip back to Acts 21 because this passage starts in 21. And goes through the, the beginning of 22. So uh, if you're here last week, uh, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, this message this morning, I will say, will kind of uh, shift gears a little bit. Last week was a little more, uh, I don't want to say heady, but it, it made us think more about um, how the gospel applies to us and um, what Christian freedom looks like in the light of uh, the things that God's told us to do. Because if you remember last week, Paul went under an Old Testament law. But Paul also teaches very clearly that it's not through the Old Testament law that we're saved. And so we held some things up in tension of, uh, of, of how they play out in our Christian lives. And then this week it changes gears. And so Paul gets arrested at the end of 21 and they let him go back before the people or they're about to let him go back before the people. And Paul's going to share uh, his testimony essentially. And so um, as we're reading it, you can keep that in mind. And so uh, what we're going to do is, is I'm going to read the first about six verses or eight verses, and then we'll unpack the rest of it in sections as we go through following Paul. Sound good? I say that like y'all are going to object and <laughs> start back over, right? That's not happening. So here we go. I hope you're good with it. I'll pray and we'll, or I'll read and we'll pray. So verse 37 in chapter 21, it says, as Paul is about to be brought into the bracts, he said to the tribune, these are the people that have arrested him. Now, let me pause here. The Jewish people were the ones that wanted him arrested, okay? And most commentators say that the Jews were so mad at him and caused an uproar. They're so mad at Paul for preaching the gospel of Christ that they had to hold him above their heads, several of the Romans did, to keep the Jews from trying to kill him because the Romans knew that it was only fair for them to have a fair trial, that they shouldn't let the Jews kill him. And so the Romans hold him above their head because people were trying to uh, get to Paul and hurt him, and they have to give him a fair trial. They know that. And so um, the Romans are taking him out, and this is the tribune, and then they get into a conversation, and that's what we pick up. Paul says to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Let me pause. They're trying to figure out why everybody's so mad at Paul. Okay? And so what they're saying is, are you not that Egyptian guy that caused this uproar? Okay? So they're starting to put fake identities on Paul. Anybody get frustrated? Right? 
Um, if, if we put a fake identity on you and it caused an uproar against you, you would be pretty frustrated, okay? But Paul, supernaturally, keeps his cool through all of this and begins to start having a conversation with them. Verse 39, Paul replied, no, it doesn't say that, but he's trying to tell him what he is. I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen to no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. You see, for him telling them he was from Tarsus, that would have been a big deal because Tarsus was like one of the main academic places. It's where um, a big university was for Jews to train. And so now the people that have taken him are trying to be like, okay, how is this going to work? Because you are, you studied what these people are, right? He, he, Paul, if you read Galatians, it says that he was a Jew and he was coming up through the ranks faster than all of them. He says that he was the smartest Jew. He was part of the tribe of Benjamin, which made him the highest of highest Jews. And so Paul said, I am the best Jew. And so they're like, well, why are these Jews mad at you? The Romans are trying to put it together as to why there's such an uproar going on with Paul. Verse 40, it says, and when he had given him permission... Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. So Paul now comes out before the thousands of people that are mad at him. And when there's a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Let me pause there and say, the reason he's speaking in Hebrew is to build a bridge. We talk a lot, y'all, if you've been here, about barriers and bridges, right? The reason that Paul chose to speak to them in Hebrew is because the Jews spoke Hebrew. If you knew Hebrew you would have automatically had um, some influence with these people because it was important to them that you spoke Hebrew. And so Paul starts speaking in Hebrew to build a bridge to them. Because if Paul knows Hebrew, then he's probably a better Jew than a lot of the Jews that are mad at him, right? It's kind of like if somebody uh, is a stronger believer than you, then they know more about something, then they start talking back to you, and you're like, wow, they know a lot. If he spoke in Hebrew, they automatically saw him as somebody who really knew what it meant to be a Jew. And this is what he said, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I make now before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Why did they become more quiet? Because they're like, wow, this is going to be important. He's talking to us in our language. And he did that on purpose to get their attention so that he could share the truth with them. And what he's about to do is, as we'll unpack it, is he's about to share his testimony. And we're going to see how that's rooted in the gospel. And he shares the gospel through his own testimony so that they can hear the truth about Christ. And so what we'll do is, is we'll pray together and we'll break this down section by section and talk about um, our stories and how they play a part in God's kingdom. Does that sound good? Yep. All right, here we go. Let's pray and we'll get going. Father, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, I pray now that, God, your word would, uh, God, pierce us, would it encourage us, would it convict us, God? Uh, your word, it says that it's living and active, and when we uh, speak from your word, God, that it won't return void, and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and it can, God, shape us. And so, Lord, we, as we sing, we give you our heart now. God, would you shape us? God, would you stir our affections for you? God, would you use your word uh, to change us and make us more like Christ? God, we love you, and we pray that... God, everything that is said and taught would be glorifying to you. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody says, amen. amen. Um, one of the things that I love, if you've been here while you know this, is I love sports. So often when I think about something, I think about it through a sports lens. But um, how many of you have ever sat down and tried to share your testimony with somebody? To begin with, testimony is a church word, right? Um, if you grew up in another country and then came to America and you had never been around uh, people that speak Christianese, then the word testimony wouldn't really mean much to you. You know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of a word that we use inside the church that's talking about our story. And so um, what I will say is, and what we're about to get to, is we all have a specific story, but it's rooted in the same gospel. Okay? We all have a story that God has used to bring us to him, but it's rooted in the same truths. Okay, think about it like this. Um, everybody that plays for Georgia that's on scholarship, or maybe not on scholarship, but everybody that's played football for the University of Georgia was at one point recruited, right? Now, they were recruited among the same guidelines. They, uh, somebody noticed who they were. They reached out to them. And then they, they probably started getting, the, the coaches started revealing to them their plans for them, and uh, they needed to choose and how they would use that player, right, and how they would be an important piece. And then once they commit, they get a brand new identity, and their complete purpose for sports changes, right? 
It goes from them trying to win their high school championship, whatever that looks like, or whatever they're doing, to now they have now the same identity and the same purpose as the, everybody else in the University of Georgia, which is to what? Win the national championship. You follow me on this? But their, their stories are all different, but it unites in the same purpose, right? The, the foundations of it is all the same, and that's kind of what we see here with Paul. Listen, one of the things that happens in Christianity, and this is not always bad, but it's just kind of true, is we often share our testimony to try to get somebody to have the same feeling we did when we got convicted about the Lord. Anybody ever done that? And what we do is, is instead of grounding the gospel in truth and relating our certain stories to the gospel, we kind of hype up or hyper-emotionalize our story so that they will hopefully feel what we felt. And what that does is, is it's not meant to be bad, but what it does is, is it causes their Christianity to be grounded on feelings rather than truth. Y'all follow me on this? And it's important that we all take our testimonies, our stories of how God saved us, and we filter it back through the gospel so that it's not all feeling-based. Y'all follow me on this? Um, Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceptive, right? And we don't want to base everything out of feelings. We don't want people to just search for the same feelings we do. We want it to be grounded in truth and things that don't change. Y'all follow me on this? Anybody know people like this that are hyper-feely or, or, or want you to feel things? And so what Paul does is he takes his story, and what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to kind of use my testimony and other biblical stories that we see people happen, and we're going to filter it through as Paul shares his testimony, Okay. And so this is kind of the whole theme is that we all have a certain story. We all have a testimony, but it's rooted in the same gospel. And we need to be sure and grounded in what that gospel is. Does that make sense? We need to be grounded in it. So here we go. Picking up in verse 3, this is what Paul says. So remember, he's addressing the crowd and he's about to filter his story back through it. It says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus. Why is that a big deal? He's trying to show them that he's the best Jew of the Jews. He was born in Tarsus, where the smart Jews were. It says, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the smartest rabbi at that time. So he's saying, I was the best of you. I was the best at what you want to be, right? And so Paul has their attention talking to them. He says, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day, he says, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. For them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So what Paul says here is, is he says, y'all are trying to crucify me for not being a Jew but I've crucified way more people than y'all could ever dream of crucifying when he was a Jew, right? Y'all remember going back to about chapter Acts 8, and a guy named Stephen became the first martyr in that story, the, the first person that gave his life up for Christ? You know who it says was standing there when they folded his clothes over and who approved of Stephen's killing? Saul did. And so Saul says, y'all are trying to persecute me, but I was even a better persecutor. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm winning at your own game. I was a better Jew. I knew more. I was smarter. But he says, I was the one that did that. So how does that relate to us? What, what, is, what is Paul doing in grounding his story in the gospel? Well, this is what he's doing, and it's the first point. It's we all led people away from Christ, number one. We've all led people away from Christ. And here's the reality of this. We've either done it intentionally or unintentionally, okay? Now, I'm not going to spend time on the intentional part because if you're in church, maybe at one point you were an atheist and you had a miraculous time of God saving you, right, and something crazy happened and you were um, trying to turn people away from Christ. But most of us, if you're like me and we're honest, we led people astray from Christ unintentionally, probably unconsciously, right? We weren't thinking about it on purpose, but because of our sin, we naturally wanted people to follow us and not Jesus, right? We talk about this a lot. The, the issue with our sin is not stuff we just do. It's a worship issue. And at the root, when we go back to the beginning, think about Genesis. They ate the fruit that they told them not to eat. 
And why did they eat it? Because they wanted to be who? They wanted to be God. Right? And so what we see is, is that all of our roots of our sin come back to us wanting somehow to manipulate people and manipulate this world to being about us. And you say, well, Dustin, how does that one size fit all? Well, because all of you, Roman says, you and me included, we've traded the worship of the creator for created things, things like ourselves, things like money, sports. We, we naturally want to worship things that are created rather than the creator. And so we naturally do this unintentionally. Usually it starts with a snowball effect. There's a story I want to read right quick because I think it, it gets to the heart of how this snowball effect happens. Listen, none of us when we're born, well, I say that. Some of you may have been that much of a hoodlum, but usually what happens when we're born is we naturally want things to be about us. Okay? If you don't believe me, sign up to Serving Connection Kids. Is that fair enough? Okay? If you don't, then uh, go over there. It's natural in us. Listen, it doesn't take a year for us to realize that we want life to revolve around us. That's why babies cry. You serve me now. And then we just manipulate it and mask it better when we become adults, right? We don't want people to notice it immediately, but for somehow we want things to revolve around us. Another example, listen, it's so funny how the secular world ends up feeding a Christian worldview. You know how? What do we call people on Instagram? that we want naturally for them to know what's going on in our life. We, we, we call those people followers. <laughs> Sounds like what they call people who follow Jesus, right? We call those disciples, but they're just followers of Jesus. It's the same thing. Our, our, our society structure is we want life to be about us, but we, we need to have some type of humility card in there. And so we don't want to forget all of our morals, but, but I want to be a little bit moral if it can also fit my identity and so then we come up with this idea of when you call somebody on the phone, you have a certain identity of how you want them to think of you when your name pops up when they call. Amen? We all do that. It's natural in us. And so whether we realize it or not, we naturally compete for God's glory. And, and here's the reality. I don't remember if y'all remember this point back in several stories in Acts, but God's not going to have competitors for his glory. Right? We kneel and worship or we don't and it's bad right there's not going to be an in-between and so god's not going to have people stealing his glory but what i would say is and this is the quick example i want to use is is usually it starts out a little bit small and it snowballs and gets worse there's a story in first kings um, there's good bad kings, bad kings. This is the Old Testament. Um, there's good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. They're kind of going back and forth. But the thing that all the bad kings had in common is that they usually started off a little bit crooked. And as they went further, they got more crooked. And sin became a little more attractive and a little more attractive. And their reputation and worship of them became more important to them. And so naturally, that took over and it got worse and worse. Listen to the story of Solomon. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Y'all think there's any women issues in our culture? It's funny, a thousand years later, same exact issues, right? Our, 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 our sin issues are power, pride, sexual sin. They're all the same through. You can go back to Romans. You can go back to the first people. You know why that is? Because it all came from Adam and Eve. It's the same original sin that was in Adam and Eve that's in me. I got to thinking this week, you guys, before I read this and share this. The sin that bothers you most about your neighbor is in you. It just hasn't manifested itself, right? We all have the same ability to sin. And the sin issue is it starts at Adam and Eve, and we can't cure it ourselves. We can't make ourselves better and build ourselves up enough and do enough to get it out. It's in all of us. And it makes you wake up and say, it's by the grace of God that my sin hasn't manifest worse. And it hasn't come out more. It's in all of us equally. It's not that some of us, or I say this all the time, 50% sinful, and some of you hoolums out there are 80% sinful, right? Because then only some of you would need Jesus 50%, and then the other side would only need 20% of Jesus. What's the reality of the gospel, you guys? We're all 100% sinful, and we all need Christ 100% because 
we can't do it ourselves. That's the truth of the gospel, and we see it manifest different ways. We, we might intentionally lead people away from Christ, but we might do it unintentionally, as Solomon did. It said Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite. It's like he's naming different women that he's, verse 2, from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. You know what we learn here about when we unintentionally are not careful about where we're leading people? is it, It's a heart issue. You see how quick they got to that? They started out with just a little bit of, he liked women, but eventually it got in his heart and it took it over. Right? Now look, I know that y'all aren't like, yeah, Dustin's talking about sin today. This is awesome, okay? But this is the reality we come to. Christ is not a great savior if you don't see yourself as a great sinner. Right? This is the message of the gospel. It's that we all need Christ the same. Verse 4 says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true for the Lord his God, as was the heart for, of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess, and many others. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place. You know what then Solomon does? He starts building idols to other people because his heart had gone astray so much. This is 1 Kings 11. If you want to go back and read it. It said, built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and the Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. On the mountain of East Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Listen, I don't want to go too much on and on. I think everybody kind of understands this point, okay, that we've all done it intentionally or unintentionally. But we have to challenge our heart, right? Everybody's story, at some point you realize, wow, I'm living for me and I'm in the center, but this thing has to be about God. Right? And so the question becomes, who's on the throne? Are you making the decisions? Are you doing what you want to do? It's probably the essence of sin is us doing what we want to do when we want to do it, and nobody's going to tell us otherwise. Right? That's when pride and sin is deep in us. Otherwise, we let God be on the center, and we want to naturally follow him and let him do it. So Paul keeps going on in his story or in his uh, testimony. And in the midst of flipping around, I just went to the wrong place. But he starts out, we'll go back to verse 6 as he continues to tell the story of his testimony. And he says this, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. He might know where this is coming from. What, what chapter is Paul going back to to tell his testimony? Acts chapter 9. And so he's just going back and retelling his story to these people. Why? Because he's trying to get them to understand that he was a normal person just like them. And God radically changed his heart just like he did for me and you. Verse 7, it says, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. Number two, the second thing we see in rooting our personal stories in the gospel is God starts revealing himself to us and conviction sets in. Think about your story. At some point, you naturally, rather probably unintentionally, were leading people away from the Lord, and all of a sudden, God got your attention somehow, right? And what happens is, is when God starts getting your attention, he starts revealing himself to you, and what you realize is that there's a deep dilemma between God revealing himself to you and how holy and graceful and just he is, and on the other hand, you start realizing how sinful we are, and you realize there's a great dilemma here, right? The holiness of God and our unholiness, and they start clashing. One of the things that makes me think about and what happens is a lot of times we stay in this area longer than others. 
Some people get convicted, like my wife, who's just an angel, right? Seems like. She gets convicted and boom, follows Christ. When I got to this stage, I rattled in this stage for years, you guys. There was many, many years, if I'm honest with you guys, that I knew what was right and wrong, but I wasn't about to surrender, right? God had revealed himself to me, but total surrender was not an option. Listen, this was when being a preacher was off this, no idea, okay? This was years ago, but God started working on me and revealing himself to me, and I started realizing I'm sinful. He's not what is going to happen, and what usually happens in these moments, if you think back to your story and start filtering your story back to the gospel is you start realizing that often this is when God starts exposing our deepest issues, right? What our deepest sin issues are is this is when God starts getting to them because we're like, okay, either I can do this and follow the Lord or I can't follow the Lord and do this. And we start having that dilemma. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I just rambling or y'all following me? Okay. This is what starts happening. Let me give you what happened in my life. God sent me to a school that you don't go to because that's a party school, right? And it was the only place that after years of trying to search out places to go, I'm a, a prideful, borderline womanizer, manipulative, 17-year-old boy who takes off to Georgia Southern to play baseball, which just fed all of that, right? I go there. Why? Because I'm going to become somebody. And life's about me, and it's going to feed it, right? It's going to make me more important and greater. But in that time, God breaks me down because often in our stories, as with Paul, God has to completely break us because we put our foundation on something, and God breaks us for, his, for our good, what ends up being our good, and he breaks us, and we start following the Lord, right? That's what happened to me. You know what he took? Sports, gone. Why? Because that's everything that my life stood on. And sports fed all the other stuff. Why did I want to be a good athlete? Because I wanted to give God all the glory. No. You kidding me? I wanted the glory, right? Why did I, why did I, listen, this is how deep my sin was, you guys. There were things that I would do because I had to keep a little bit of morals because I wanted Dustin to be an okay guy. I wanted people to see me as, you know, he goes to church some, he's a, he's a, he's a good boy. But on the other hand, I was going to party enough so that I could fit in with that crowd too. I was going to balance morality so that it could fit my reputation. I was going to balance being a little bit of a partier because that fit my reputation too. Why did Dustin want this great reputation? Because he wanted it all to revolve around who? God. It's all about God. No. Y'all see how this works? And we unintentionally all the time make ourselves the sinner. Listen, and then God breaks us. And we think it's going to be so awful, but then it's not. Right? <laughs> it's funny. In the midst of me moving to the party school, God was moving me so that he could move my pride out of the way, right? Let me read y'all a quick verse that will shake you. It gives me chills. I'm about to read it. It says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. This is Isaiah. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding. He's saying, I'm the sovereign one. I have all wisdom. I'm going to work your life out as I will. He says, I removed the boundaries of these peoples. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I was comfortable. I had a pretty good reputation. People saw me as I wanted to be seen here, but he removed those boundaries. And Isaiah says that we move at the hand of the Lord. God knew what he was doing, right? I didn't. I thought I was going there for Dustin. God knew that he was going to break me, but it was going to end up being for my good and his glory. As Romans 8, 28 says, it always happens. He says, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures. What was my treasure? Me. I was the sinner, and he plundered it. He says, like a bull, I bring down those who sit on thrones. God moved me to Statesboro so that he could move my pride to the side and save my life. Right? Listen, at some point that happens to all of us. It's not just this deep emotional thing. It's conviction that sits in. And we hit this dilemma. You know what that dilemma was for me? Life is either going to be about God or life's going to be about Dustin. Right? 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not a do's and don'ts. You saying a cuss word or lusting or those little small sins, that's not the problem. Often the problem is we want to be at the center of our lives and we can't be at the center with God. Anybody ever seen a bumper sticker that says God's my co-pilot? If that doesn't describe American Christianity, I don't know what it does. God, I need your help a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, be my GPS when it gets hard and I don't know where to go, but I'm the driver, right? You get the passenger seat, God, I get the driver's seat. That kind of how it is? Anybody else struggle with that? I do. But that's the truth of the gospel. And what happens is we start hitting this dilemma of we start realizing that God's holy and God's gracious and we're not. And what that does is it gets us to a breaking point. Let me read a quick story of Peter. And this is what happens with him. This is Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says, On the one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, and hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake. This is Luke, who's also the author of Acts that we're reading. And this is him telling the story about Peter. It says, And he saw two boats by the lake. You probably heard this story. He said, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put a little from the land. So they pushed him out from the land, and he sat down and taught from the boat. He got him out in the boat so that more people could see him, and he's teaching. The problem is they don't know that he's God yet. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, which is Peter, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. What does Peter say? He doesn't know he's God at this point. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. This kind of sounds like sarcasm, right? He's showing him. What is Jesus doing to him? At this moment, God's starting to reveal himself to Peter. Okay? That's kind of what's going on here. Peter doesn't know that he's God. Peter's the God of his life. And then all of a sudden, God comes in and says, do this. And it's kind of like, okay, God, I'll do it if I have to, but, you know, what then? Verse 6, and when they had gone, it says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Back your word, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. It's funny, when we let go of ourselves, and we find our satisfaction and obedience to Christ, we actually get more fulfilled than the world would have filled us, Right? Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. When we do things for our flesh and it starts filtering through us, we naturally want what's good now. That's what happened with Peter. Verse 7, it says, They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. There's so many fish. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Let me pause. When we first think of Jesus, and I don't mean this in any bad way, because people were brought up thinking of Jesus in many different ways, okay? But most of you probably have some type of picture of Jesus, like I did growing up, to where Jesus just loves you. Jesus loves that you're disobedient to him. Jesus loves that he wants your life to be about you and not him. Is that what happens with Peter? No. What happens with Peter? Think about it, you guys. I don't, I don't mean to like, like try to exaggerate this, but this is a big deal. What happens with Peter? He says, woe is me. Depart from me, Lord. You know why he wants Jesus to depart from him? Because Jesus is a holy God standing there in front of him. And all of a sudden he's saying, this holy God who is the God of the universe is standing beside me and I'm not holy. You know who else does this? Isaiah. He says, woe is me, God, in Isaiah 6. And what has to happen to every person in the history of humanity is you have to go through some cleansing process. This happened with Moses. Moses, God appears to him. Just like God appeared in a similar way, God appeared to Peter in, in flesh form, in Christ. God appeared to Moses in a bush. But before Moses could go forward, what did they tell Moses to do? You might know the story. Take off your sandals. You know what that was showing? That a cleansing process had to happen for him to come to the Lord. You know what the cleansing process was for Isaiah in Isaiah 6? He takes a coal and touches his lips, and it's signifying that there was going to be a cleansing process take place. 
Now, when you and I stand in light of God like Peter did, what's our cleansing process? Jesus. All of this is pointing to Jesus. What it does is, is it shows us this in light of who God is and how holy and just and graceful he is and how unholy we are. And it starts showing us how big this gap is. Verse 9, this is back to the story of Peter. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that he had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they had brought their boats to land, and they left everything and followed him. Sound like anybody else's salvation story? You realize your sinfulness, like we're talking about. God reveals himself to you in some way, usually through somebody teaching the gospel. And you say, wow, I'm sinful. And then you start realizing all of this, and how does it play out? The next thing is you trust Christ, and then your purpose gets redefined to you become a fisher of men like did for Luke. So here's the third thing that happens. As Paul starts in this next part and keeps going, he says, we become a new creation. That's the next step. We realize our sinfulness, and then when we place faith in Christ, we become a new creation in that moment. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if you're in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. When Jesus cleanses you, he cleanses you, right? That's why, listen, this week I was talking to somebody. And some of the best stories when you share the gospel with people are people that you don't have to convince that they're broken. Why? Because they see their need for God, right? You wonder why it's hard sometimes to share the gospel with your neighbor. They don't see a need for God. They have everything they need. House, they're self-sufficient, it seems like. They have money. They're stable. And maybe not your neighbor, but somebody you want to come to God. And, and it becomes, it's harder to share with them than it is somebody in prison. You know, somebody gets out of prison, it's like, man, this is good news. I needed that. And it makes sense to them, right? And so that's what happens here. Is he sees it, he sees the truth of Jesus, and he responds by faith and repentance. Let's see what happens with Paul. It's the same thing. We'll pick up in verse 12. If you remember back to Acts 9, it follows. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me, this is Paul talking, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Right? This is when it switches. This is why Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 are some of my favorite verses. Because this is bad news. Y'all ready for this to get better? Anybody in here? I am. I don't love just preaching about y'all's sin and my sin and we're all doomed, you know, but this is where it gets good. Salvation is free. You guys just call on the name of the Lord and it starts bringing you back to him, you know, but the, the good news ain't good without the bad news. And that's what we have to get through is God breaks us. And then it's like, man, and Christ grabbed me and he started working all things out for our good and his glory. And it changes. And you don't have to do anything. You just call upon the name of the Lord. Listen, I'll beg you now if there's anybody in here, if you've realized that and you haven't fully surrendered, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait and raise your hand. You don't have to just say a prayer to be saved. There's not a, a repeat the prayer after the preacher. As soon as you consciously make a decision to put faith in the finished worth of Christ, you are saved in that moment, right? There's not a, you don't have to walk the aisle down or whatever the tradition say. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's realizing that by God's grace, he sent Jesus to cover your sin and you place faith in the finished work of what Christ has done and you're saved and your purpose is redone and you become a new creation and boom, it all changes. Listen, that's some of the best news in the world, isn't it? You and I don't have to be separated from God forever. We don't have to be revealed to the Holy One and be unrighteous and not have a way to be reconciled to God. He's given us all we need in Christ by solving our biggest issue, our sin issue, through faith in Christ. 
Listen, taking my story and you take your story and think back to that moment, I'll never forget when I woke up and it was a conscious decision I made. I was, I believe, a junior in college. It was early on in my semester. It was in August. We had just kind of gotten there. My wife and I now, back then, we weren't husband and wife, but we had broken up. I chased sin like I most I ever could. Started realizing it was empty. Started realizing that my life was pretty much pointless. I had no purpose. Make money, retire good, be a moral person. People see Dustin as great. Y'all think that's probably why the suicide rate for millionaires is higher than regular people? Right? Why? Because there's no purpose to life. And God gave us a purpose. It's deeper. But I'll never forget, I got up that morning. You know what it was for me? There were really two things I had to give up. Drinking too much and sexual immorality. And I could go in more, but there's young people in here. So y'all understand what I'm saying? Not ahead, yeah? And I wasn't going to give it up. But I had to make a decision that day. It was follow the Lord and surrender or keep living the way Dustin wants to live. I made a conscious decision that day. I was going to pursue Christ. Have I screwed up? Yeah. But since then, I've produced fruit too, right? That's what the scripture says. And that's the challenge here. And the last thing I'll say, this is probably the most confused part in the American church. Is we think we can be a Christian and not produce any fruit. Right? We think that somehow we can get around our testimony being this. Yeah, I was 10. I walked down the aisle. I said a prayer. The preacher talked to me. And I've lived life just how I wanted to live with myself right at the center of it. That's not it. There's a moment in which we call repentance. You know what that is? We talk about this in heart and soul. It's a moment when you do a 180 in life. Life goes to being completely about dusting and pursuing things of the flesh to doing a 180 and repenting of that and now saying, I'm going to pursue Christ with my life. You can't pursue Christ wholeheartedly and not produce fruit. Listen, the fruit is not what saves you, obviously. But if you're pursuing Christ, there will be fruit. And so we get to this crossroads of, have we done this? Have you trusted Jesus because you realized your sin? Have you quit trying to have a good day and impress God so that then you can have room to do what you want to do? It gets us in this works-based system we don't realize. God, I'll give Sunday to you if I can just have Friday night for me. I would say probably 90% of us have been in that situation. God, I'll give you Sunday morning and I'll, I'll do this for the church. If I can do this when everybody else goes to sleep. It's the truth of the gospel, you guys. We, we can't understand it and live like that. We want to pursue holiness. And listen, if we've been made new and we've placed faith in Christ, Ephesians 1.13 says, When you heard the message of the gospel, the truth of your salvation, you were marked in him with the seal of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of the Lord Jesus. What that means is when you get saved, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes in you, and that's now pushing you to godliness until the day of the Lord Jesus, which is the day that we die, and then we go to be with him in heaven forever. If you've been made new, you've become a new creation, the Spirit is inside of you, and that is what's pursuing you. That's what's giving you the courage into godliness. The Spirit's not in us to do crazy things. First Peter says the Spirit is given to us for all godliness. When we make a conscious decision to love Christ, when we make a conscious decision to love our neighbor, share the gospel, be at church, serve God, all those decisions are coming because of the Spirit in us, not because of us. Right? Our flesh is not going to choose that ever. But it's by God's grace and the Spirit in us that it happens. And so we become a new creation. We get born again. And this is why we celebrate. This is why we do baptisms too, right? Think about it. This is baptism, becoming a new creation. You're dying to your sins, going underwater. It's symbolizing you dying to yourself and being raised to a new life, a new creation. It's the whole purpose of baptism, to show what's happened in this salvation. But the best part about this is the story doesn't end there. Right? God doesn't save me or you. He doesn't send us through all of that for ourselves. He does it for a greater purpose, right? Which is so that then we can share that news, which is the best news in the world, with everybody 
else. He gives us a purpose to live for. And so point four, last thing, we'll read this and we'll be done. Point four, your purpose gets completely redefined. Your purpose in life goes from being grounded in whatever your pursuits of dreams are, your pursuits and dreams are, to being grounded in what God's purpose is, which makes all of our purposes at the end of the day match, right? We're living to glorify God and extend his glory. We're living to enjoy God and walk in obedience and share the gospel to advance the kingdom with the rest of the world. Simple as it can get. And we do that through being a teacher, through being a mom, through being uh, working in the medical field, etc. all of it. But it's all to the same purpose. Starting in 17, we'll read these verses and we'll be done. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Verse 21 says, and he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You talk about a redefining time in life. Paul went from persecuting the way, which there's a capital W there for a reason. What that means is he went from persecuting Christ to now being Christ's biggest advocate. That's what happens for us. We go from being sinners deserving of punishment to God redefining our life and giving us total purpose in life. You know, redefining our purpose gets to a big deal. And this is kind of how I want to say it is. Take your testimony this week. Take it through these four steps. When did you realize you were unconsciously leading people away from Christ? When did God start revealing himself to you? When did he start working on you? When was the moment you fully surrendered and gave your life to Christ? And now we're all living in point number four, which is our purpose is redefined and we're living for him. Amen? That's what the church is for. We're linked arms for the mission of God. And our purpose is completely redefined. Now our purpose is to glorify God and make disciples, glorify God and extend his glory. Now here's what I'll say. Oftentimes people come and they say, well, Dustin, I'm just, I feel like I'm missing something or something, I don't know what it is. If you're not engaged in God's mission somehow, what your purpose is now, there's going to be some part of Christianity that feels empty. Right? Because Christianity is not hedonism. It's not, I saved you now so that you can be happy and healthy and rich and it's all about you now. Christianity is about us becoming a new creation so that we can play a part in God's mission to take the best news in the world to the rest of the world. And so now you have a part to play in that. Your story is rooted in the gospel so that you can then share it with others. Right? God made you the way you are for a certain purpose. You're the only people that knows the people that you know. Think about Facebook. Nobody else has the same 3,568 friends as you do. Some of y'all really got like three, and then we got thousands on our list on Facebook. You know how that is. But God wants to use your story through the truth of the gospel to see people's lives changed. Is that the case for all of us? But the way we get there is by realizing who God is. When he reveals himself to us, we have to get to a place where we see who God is so that we want to love others. There's a famous guy who once said, I hope I quote this right, but if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Okay, if you're trying to build, make people build a lot of ships. He says, instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Right? Give them a motivation that lasts. Give them a motivation. If you want to make people build a lot of boats, don't give them a lot of tasks to do and not a meaningless task just to, to hammer a few boards together and then make the boats. He says, give them a, a year for the ocean, for the sea, and then they'll want to be out there and enjoy it. Listen, that's what starts with Christians. The reason I think that we, don't, we aren't urgent about the task of sharing our story in the gospel is because we don't yearn for God's glory. We don't yearn for the God of all creation to receive the glory that he's deserved, right? Because when we know that, we want to share the good news of the gospel with people so that they can then become worshipers of Jesus. And that plays into our purpose and our satisfaction. When God is most glorified in our life is when we're most satisfied. 
They go hand in hand. Our happiness, our satisfaction, and God receiving glory go right together. And that's because our purpose plays in to God's glory. And so here we go. Three quick things and we're done. Our deepest purpose comes from God. If you aren't living on mission for God's kingdom, you won't be completely satisfied. They go hand in hand. And we want to play a role in reaching the nations and play a role in reaching our neighbor. That's what I'm talking about. I was a good amen. Right? But that's the case, you guys. We, we find our purpose in God's purpose. And when those match is when we're satisfied. It's just how it happens. Because we're created to know God and extend His glory. If that's the case, when we walk in what we're created for, we're naturally satisfied. And if not, then we miss the, the, the point and we then naturally are not satisfied. And so I just want to pray that we would be united to seeing God's glory come, seeing everybody worshiping God, and that God would specifically use us, right? Your neighbor and the people that we pray for that have never heard, they hear through us sharing, right? And so we naturally do that so that God will use us so that his kingdom will go forward. And so I'm just going to pray for that, and then we'll, we'll be done. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. God, I thank you for uh, my salvation, the salvation of the people all who are here. Lord, I pray that, God, you would, uh, God, help us see that our salvation does not end with us, but God, this is just a part of it, that, God, you've redefined our purpose so that now we can live for you. God, help us understand and find our satisfaction rooted in you receiving glory. God, I thank you for these people. Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a niche to have a conversation with people, to share the gospel, to, God, just talk about spiritual things as a normal part of our life. God, help us do that so that we can, God, play a part in your kingdom. God, you didn't save us for no reason, but God, you saved us for a purpose. So God, help us rest in that. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I pray that, God, these words are, as Paul says, God, not persuasive to manipulation, but God, that they give you glory. God, help them not, God, be something that gets us on a high or low, or God, help them just be words that shape us and affect our love for you so that then we play a part in building your kingdom. God, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys so much. See you next Sunday.